Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. You know, a number of years ago, we, we pastored our church. We started a church in June of 1980, and then we pastored that church for 36 years. And, um, and then now we stepped out of that role. My, one of my sons is pastoring the church now. And my wife and I have been traveling around uh, trying to help the church in any way that we can. Uh, but my passion, whenever God was transitioning out of the church, God's, actually before that, God spoke to me several things that were assignments. And one of those things, he spoke to me one day. He said, I want you to go to Psalm 71. And he said, a big part of your assignment in your latter days is David's prayer in Psalm 71. And so I went to Psalm 71, and David's prayer, this is what it says. David said, when I was young, uh, Lord, you taught me. Even now I declare your marvelous deeds. But when I am old and gray, do not forsake me till I declare your power to the next generation. Wow. And the Lord told me, he said, Rick, you've seen many wonderful things down through the years. You know, it's, I, I was raised in Pentecost, and, you know, and when I say Pentecost, it wasn't just cultural Pentecost or religious Pentecostal church. Uh, we, I was raised in a place where there was a constant move of the Holy Spirit, powerful, uh, powerful outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, on a regular basis, I would see people healed. You know, I saw one guy one day that was, we had a, actually this guy came to our church as an evangelist and, and, you know, he came and basically gave his testimony how that he was, you know, he was playing a sport and he has, he, he injured his eye and his eye was destroyed, his left eye. And so they had to take his left eye out. And so anyway, now this has been many, many years ago, whenever this guy came to our church. I, I was just a young guy, probably eight, seven, eight years old. And um, so this guy, uh, the doctor said, we're going to build you a fake eye to put in there. And so they made an eye, you know, just so that aesthetically, you know, it would look good. And uh, so they put this fake eye in there, made out of something, plastic or something. And anyway, then several years later, he was in a service really much like this. And hands were laid on him for healing. And God healed him to where he could see out of that fake eye. And he came to our church. I'll never forget it. The guy's name was Ronnie Coyne. And the guy came to our church, and he preached. And at the end of his message, he would take and invite someone out of the audience to come and, and tape up, you know, totally tape up his his good eye, his right eye, and uh, I mean, to where he looked like a mummy, you know, I mean, just where he couldn't possibly see out of that good eye. And then he would ask them for their documents, and he would read those documents through that fake eye. And then, I guess for effect, you know, this kind of gross, but actually, he, was, he would actually take his finger, put it behind that fake eye, and pop it out. <laughs> and he, he, would, he would pop that eyeball out, holding his right hand, and then he would hold his eyelid open, and through that empty socket, he would read the people's documents. 
Now, let me tell you something. If you ever see something like that, you'll be talking about it 60 years later also. <laughs> and, uh, it's, and I grew up with things like that. I, I could tell you one story after another. When I was a kid, my mom, hallelujah. Mm. My mom was, had cancer in the female organs. And, and I, I watched God... Just in a service, much like this, God miraculously healed my mom of, of that cancer, totally. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, she was, I was just a little bitty kid, and she was, you know, probably 30 years old, you know, uh, and, and, you know, now my, that cancer never came back. My mom is still alive. She turns 90 years old in, in October. <laughs> my dad was healed of severe bleeding ulcers in his stomach for for uh, two years, he could not eat anything but baby food. And uh, God miraculously healed him. And I've seen so many things happen, seen God heal me uh, miraculously on a couple of occasions. And uh, healing, the gifts of the Spirit. I've seen words of knowledge so powerful. Uh, you know, the prophetic in the operation, uh, the gift of faith. Uh, you know, all of these things, you know, casting out spirits, casting out devils. And, but I also just the, the corporate glory of God filling the house. And let me tell you something. When you're raised like that and you experience that, it gets inside of you and it becomes a part of your DNA and, and you can't shake it. And, you know, when, when later on when I, you know, left the home and, you know, was trying to run away from these, run away from God. I was always say I was not dogged by the great messages I heard when I was growing up. But what I was dogged by was all the supernatural miracles and manifestations of power that I had seen when I was growing up as a kid. I could shake the messages, but I couldn't shake what I'd seen God do that no man could do. Supernatural acts of God. And having said that, I'll say that in our generation that we live in now, we desperately need to see a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in our generation. My great fear is that we would see this younger generation being, being raised up even in the church and grow up saying, I believe in God but never having a supernatural encounter with God, never knowing what it's like to literally have the fire of God burn in their being to where that they are radically changed, where they don't just come to an altar and make a decision, but where their life is radically changed by the power of God. We desperately need a move of God in this generation. And folks, let me tell you something. I believe we're going to see it. I believe that with all my, uh, it's not my message today. I could take and, and tell you why, take you through the journey, why I believe that. But I firmly believe we're going to see a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our generation that's going to shake this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all believe that? Yeah. Hallelujah. So the Lord told me, he said, Rick, you have seen so many wonderful things. I've been in touch with contact growing up with so many great men and women of God, you know, and, you know, who carried something powerful from God. 
And God, Rick says, in this generation, I, when you're old and gray, I want, you, I want you to still be declaring the power of God to the next generation. Somebody's got to do it. Hallelujah. You know, with all these great messages we hear on, you know, how to have a good marriage and, you know, grow your finances and, you know, deal with stress and fear and difficult people and all those things we hear in the church. I say, where is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is filled with power, that is focused on the cross of Jesus Christ, that is filled with blood? Hallelujah. That depends upon the, the, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit uh, to live out this supernatural Christian life. That's my great passion. Y'all got it now? Hallelujah. Father, bless this today. Speak to my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. In Mark chapter 16, this is the, one of the places, of course, the Great Commission is given. Let me just simply read it. Mark 16, 15 through 20. And Jesus said to them, to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And I was reading this, you know, Great Commission, which is, of course, the document, the mandate that is given to the New Testament church. It's what all of us, no matter what your style or, uh, of liturgy or worship that we uh, ascribe to uh, or what kind of church we belong to, if we're... If we're a Christian church, uh, this is our mission, the Great Commission. And so if that is so, then this is to describe uh, how we are to carry, what our business is and how we're to carry about our business. And the Lord spoke to me out of this one day, and he said, Rick, there's a threefold purpose to this mission. He said there are three elements to this Great Commission, and people miss it. Because they often look at this as just, you know, well, that's our mission to go win souls, go into all the world. But that's not all this Great Commission says. It actually lays out three different parts, and here's what they are. Are you ready? First of all, I'll tell you what they are, then I'll explain them. Number one, the Lord spoke to me, said, in this Great Commission, there is an apostolic mandate, an apostolic mandate. I'll explain that in a minute. Number two, there is a uh, there is a transformational gospel. And number three, there is a Pentecostal power. Are you with me now? And so here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, first of all, this great commission says, go into all the world. That's the mission. Go. Go. There's a go in everyone's spirit as after they are born again. And that go is an apostolic mission or mandate. Apostolic simply means, or apostolic simply means to send or to be sent. The entire culture of the New Testament church is to be a culture of sending people and being sent. 
There are to be no pew sitters, or we say seat warmers, in the church or in the body of Christ. When we enter into the church, we enter in to get raised up, equipped to fulfill what God has called us to do in touching our world around us. Sometimes people don't understand that. Now listen to me. Sometimes people don't understand that. They come in here from some other kind of religious persuasion. They've had some kind of church upbringing, and they bring that culture into a church like this. And they don't understand when they come into a church that desires so much to live biblically, and then you bring in that other culture they've been raised up into the church, there's a clash between the two cultures. Because many church cultures people have been raised up in are consumer cultures where people come into the church and they look to the pastor and the leadership to bless them. You know, come on, you know, bless me. You got to be, you know, you got to be where I want you to be, do what I want you to do. You know, the whole purpose of me being in a church and being a member of a church is that I get blessed in that church. And whenever I quit getting blessed in that church, then I'm out of here because, you know, the reason I'm here is because God blesses me in this church. Are y'all still out there today? Well, that's, that's, that's a culture, church culture, which a lot of people are raised in, but that's not biblical. In fact, there's, listen, there's only one, I've looked through Scripture in the New Testament, there's only one place in the New Testament that gives us really the assignment of, of fivefold ministry, pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles, teachers. There's only one place. You want to know what they're supposed to do. It's Ephesians 4, 11. It says that the apostles, pastors, preachers, or teachers, evangelists, uh, so forth, he said that they are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Come on now. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. When you come in the door, you're coming in here to be equipped, to be raised up, to find out what God has put on the inside of you so that you may go. Go. Go to your world, go to your job, your place of employment, go to your neighborhood. But there's got to be a go in your spirit. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I've always loved Reinhard Bonnke. And Reinhard, I heard him preach one time and he said, he said, why? The, the gospel of Jesus can be summed up into two words. He said they're found in two different scriptures. He said one is found one is is found in, uh, in in Mark 16. Go into all the world. He said the word go, you go. He said the other one's found in Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Jesus said, and I will give you rest. He says he says come to Jesus and then go to the world. He said that's the whole gospel. Come to Jesus, get healed up, made whole, put back together. Then go to the world and tell what God has done for you. Hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. I had to put a kick on that one there. There you go. Amen. Listen, he says, go. We, we exist for apostolic mission. If we don't buy into that, if we, if we just said, well, you know, you don't understand. I'm just one of those people who just sits here and, you know, just, I, I read my Bible every day and I pray. Let me tell you something. You, you disqualify yourself thinking that you're not material. Look at the disciples and what kind of guys they were. 
They didn't feel they were material either. But God's anointing and call is upon you. Secondly, this. He said, we exist for apostolic mission, but we preach a transformational gospel. Meaning, we don't preach an ideological gospel, a gospel of theory, a religious gospel, a gospel just to know. But it's a gospel to be changed. Are you with me now? The, the gospel is good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's not just good history. Good history is what did happen. It's only news if it's happening today. The gospel is what's happening in your life when you come to Jesus. It's a transformational gospel. I love that. In other words, there's power in the gospel. Listen to this. This deeply affected me. It affected my preaching whenever, you know, years ago, there was one of my great heroes was a guy named T.O. Osborne. Some of you may know that name. And you know, he was a great man of God, one of the greatest men of God of the 20th century and gone to be with the Lord now. And I had the privilege to get to know him. And he came to our church, you know, a couple of times. And, and then it's wild. T.L. Osborne invited me to come to his house in Tulsa and spend the day studying the Bible with him. Matter of fact, I got to tell you this. When I, I was, has anybody ever heard that name? Lift your hand. Most of you haven't. This is a great man of God. And, you know, we're sitting in the living room or in his study of his house. And sitting there all day long studying the Bible. And T.L. said something to me that literally sent me on years of study, breaking it open. He said, Rick, listen to this. He said, the gospel is the power of God. Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He said, the gospel doesn't contain the power. The gospel doesn't show the way to the power. The gospel doesn't teach the power. The gospel is the power of God. He said the power is in the gospel. He said when the gospel is preached, the gospel happens. That's why Mark 16 says when they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord confirmed the word with signs, signs following. When the gospel is preached, when the true gospel is preached, the gospel happens because there is power resident in that gospel. The Lord spoke to me. He said, Rick, he gave me this, this definition. He said, he said, the power of God is resident within the gospel to bring itself to pass. The power is resident within the gospel to bring itself to pass. Therefore, whatever you preach comes to pass. I always tell pastors, you want something happen in your church, preach it. But not only preach it, you've got to preach it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if you do, there, you're not just teaching people something, you're releasing something by the power of God. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, that's why God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. Think of how foolish preaching is. Look, in my earlier years, I fought against this kind of what I'm doing right now. I tried to be dignified, respectable. You know, just 
And let me tell you, there was no power in it. And I began to realize that many times we become so stinking smart. We think we're so smart. We become so educated that we fancy up our messages to try to impress, impress people's heads. And in the whole time, we're missing their hearts. Because messages preached from the head only reach the head. But the word of God that's burning in the furnace of the soul, that's released by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, literally vibrates in the spirits of my brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The gospel is the power of God. I love that. Under salvation. When the gospel's preached, the gospel happens. Hallelujah. Boy, when I realized that, I threw away all those thoughts of trying to impress people. Even when I, I struggled with this first when I started going out and doing conferences, pastors' conferences. You know, our church is really growing and thing, and they invite us to these pastors' conferences. I tried to, you know, impress them. And I wonder why there was no power in it. And finally, I threw that away. And I said, you know what? The power of God is not in my ability to interpret the Scripture. The Bible never says that we as preachers are to explain the gospel. It says we are to proclaim the gospel. And there is a difference when we try to explain it, whether it's from here or you out there in your neighborhood or in, in, at work, when we try to explain it so much, it loses its power. The power is in the telling of the raw message. What is the message? The message is Jesus Christ crucified, buried, raised on the third day. Ascended to the right hand of the Father, pouring his blood over the mercy seat of heaven, sitting down at the right hand of God, and 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, pouring out the Holy Spirit on the church so that we could be empowered with the Spirit of Christ to go and shake our generation. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's power in that gospel. Hallelujah. Are you feeling this today? The third thing, he says, Rick, we exist for apostolic mission. We preach a transformative gospel. He says, but the Great Commission says, we exercise Pentecostal power. Now, let me tell you something. The gospel is the key to releasing the power. But without power, there is no gospel. Jesus said, or Paul said, that there are people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. There is no gospel without a manifestation of power. We exercise Pentecostal power. Exercising 
Pentecostal power is what confirms, what confirms what we preach. There must be evidence to back up what we see. And that's not just for pastors and preachers. That's for everyday Christians. One of my great passions is to, is to raise up a whole new generation of young people who know how to move in the power of God for themselves. Who don't just rely on some corporate manifestation or on the people on the, for the people on the platform to move in the power of God. But they know that they are vested with the power of God themselves. The Lord told me, I never asked what time I was supposed to quit, but is 1130, is that about what time? Around the, okay, listen. Y'all ready? Come on, we got 15 more minutes. Don't hang with me now, baby. Yeah, don't let go now. Listen. Hallelujah. Hey. Woo. Mm. We exercise Pentecostal power. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I saw so many things. But you know, all of my years growing up, I saw it happen to others and through others. But in all those years growing up, I never saw God use me one single time to move in his power. Here I grew up in this glorious experience of church. But never once did it even cross my mind that God would use me, little old Rick Shelton, to move in supernatural power. One of the main reasons for that was that we just weren't taught back in those days in our circles. They used to sing a song about Pentecost. I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. There's something about the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, but I've got it. Ooh, I've got it. And that's, that explained our theology. We've got it. We can't explain it, but we got it. We don't know what we got, but we got it. And so we were never taught that not only does God move in the church corporately, but that God will come upon a man or a woman, a young boy or a girl, and so fill them with his spirit that they can become a manifestation of the kingdom of God walking throughout the day wherever they go. And listen to this. When I was 19, I said all these years I'd never experienced anything. But when I was 19, I really grew up kind of as a nominal Christian. You know, I really didn't take my own, my own relationship with God really seriously. When I was 19, that all changed. I got real serious with God. And God got a hold of me. And one of the first things that happened is this. When I grew up, part of my whole experience growing up is that, you know, I was a little fat kid, believe it or not. I was. I was a little fat kid. I wasn't good at sports, couldn't run fast. You know, my older brother was always so much smarter than me. I wasn't very smart. I mean, you know, 
they'd say at night, through in the night, he'd be in the, talking in his sleep. He'd be speaking in French, you know, because he knew French well. as just a kid in school. <laughs> they come to my room, and I'm talking in my sleep, and I'm saying, hamburger. <laughs> you know, ice cream. You know, it's like, and people looked at me when I was growing up and said, I even had adults say this. See, that Rick Shelton, you know what? He, he's never going to amount to much. He's, you know, he's, he's never going to amount to much. My own seventh grade level teacher called my parents to school and told them, and with me sitting there, they said, Rick is not very smart. So he's not going to be able to succeed as an adult with his brain. So you need to go get him some training with his hands so he can work with his hands. And these kind of things just really messed with my head and just, ah, oh, really bugged me, left scars inside of me. And so I had this image of myself that, you know, Rick, you're never really going to be much. You're never going to do anything great. You can't, you're not that great. You, can, you know, you're not smart. You know, you're fat. You can't run. Why you need nothing? And listen to this. I'll never forget it. The Lord spoke to me one day when I was reading a book, and a verse in the book jumped out to me. And it was Galatians chapter 2.20. Now listen to me. Many people don't understand that one scripture can change your whole life. If God reveals that thing, there's power in it. You listen to me. That's my point. There's power in that thing. When it comes alive. And one day I read this scripture, 19-year-old boy. For I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives inside of me. And the Lord spoke this to me. He said, Rick Shelton, he said, read it again, one phrase at a time. I heard God say that. I wasn't accustomed to God speaking to me. And the Lord said, and so I read it. The first phrase I read was, I've been crucified with Christ. The Lord said, stop. He said, you've been crucified with me. I said, yeah, Lord, I've been crucified. He said, he said that means you're dead. Okay, I'm dead. Great, I'm dead. I said, what does that mean? He said, Rick, that old Rick Shelton that you've grown up with, that people said would never amount to much, wasn't very smart, would never succeed in life, is not very talented, skilled, intelligent. He said, when you came to the foot of the cross and you gave your life to me, I not only nailed your sins to the cross, I nailed you to the cross. He said, your whole being, the old Rick Shelton with all of his flaws and faults and weaknesses and failures and inabilities, they're all nailed to the cross. That old Rick that can't do anything is dead. I thought, okay. He said, read on. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He said, Rick, you're alive. I said, okay. I'm dead, but I'm alive. If I walk down the street telling people that, they think I'm crazy. Hey, I'm dead, but I'm alive. He said, Rick, the old Rick is dead. But he said, there's a new Rick that is alive. He said, read on. Yet I live. He said, yet not I. It's not me. But it's Christ in me. 
Hey. And he said, in the life that I now live with this Christ in me, through me, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, Rick, the old Rick is dead with all of his failures and inabilities. He said, from this day forward, he said, I want you to cease living out of the old natural Rick Shelton with all of his weaknesses and failures. He's dead. From now on, I want you to live out of the resources of Christ that's living on the inside of you. You get that? In other words, this is not just a theological point. Oh, I have Christ in me. Let me tell you, he said literally, just as you lived out of the old Rick Shelton, you can live out of the unlimited wisdom of Christ in you. You can live out of the unlimited power and love and ability and strength of Christ on the inside of you. He said, but Rick, you have to learn how to live out of that Christ in you by faith. In other words, trusting in what God has placed on the inside of you. Listen, here's the key. So many Christians I know, they believe. They love being a part of a spirit-filled church. Oh, we love Pentecost. We love being part of a spirit-filled church. They have confidence that God moves in their church. But they have no confidence that God will ever use them in a powerful way. Can I tell you, every born-again Christian is designed by God to live this supernatural life, healing the sick and casting out devils, moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, hearing the voice of God, moving in the power of God wherever you go. That's to be normal Christianity. And the Lord said to me, he said, Rick, you've got to have confidence of what I've placed on the inside of you. He said, so many Christians, they pray, they read the word, they come to church. He said, but they're not God inside conscious. They're God up there conscious. To prove it, when they pray, they'll pray, oh, God, please, Lord, come and touch this person. Lord, please, we need your power. Come and help this person. Yet Paul said in Romans 10, you're never to pray that way. He said, don't look up into heaven. Pray for God to come do something. Christ, he said, don't pray. Come back from the grave. He said, the word is near you in your heart and in your mouth. When I saw that, listen to me. All of a sudden, I began to realize when I look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it hit me one day that Jesus never, ever prayed one single long public ministry prayer. In other words, in private, in devotional prayers, fellowship prayers with God, he would pray whole night long. He would pray long time in fellowship with God. When it came to ministering to people, he prayed one and two and three-word prayers. Be opened. That was his prayer. Be still. I love that. Go. That's a great one right there. 
Isn't that great? That's his whole prayer. Go! Well, wait a minute. That's your whole prayer. You didn't even say, Father. I mean, I pray, Lord God, go! He just looked at that and even says, go! Come out! Be still! Be open! I love that. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, what was Jesus doing? Jesus, only in his whole life of ministry, looked up one time to the Father and asked the Father to come do something. And it was at Lazarus' grave. And he said then that the only reason I'm doing it now is for their benefit, not for mine. Are you with me now? The reason, listen, the reason Jesus didn't pray prayers like, oh, Father, come, and would you please just, but he prayed, go! Listen, it's because Jesus realized what kind of treasure of the Holy Spirit that was living on the inside of him. And when he needed God's power to change something or break something, he wasn't calling it down from heaven. He was releasing it from the inside of him. Jesus himself said, I love this. He said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Don't look here or there. It's not over here or there. He says, for the kingdom of God is on the inside of you. I love that. You know, the word kingdom comes in the Greek from a word called basilia. Basilia is a Greek word that that is where we get the word basilica from, like St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. The reason that's a basilica is because the word basilia means, you ready for this? Basilia means the place from which a king carries out his reign and rule. The place from which a king carries out his reign and rule. That's what kingdom means. And Jesus said, don't look and say, oh, we're going to the kingdom of God on Sunday because that's where it's at. There it is. God's there. That's where the power of God is. That's where Jesus carries out his rule and reign. He said, listen, no. He said, the place from which Jesus carries out his rule and reign is on the inside of you. And when you understand that, then you begin to release out of you what God has placed on the inside of you. I'll end with this by telling you, man, I was... Once God revealed it to me, here I am, right? Just a kid. Now God, I mean, when you get something like this, I mean, you, you go crazy. It's like I, I, within two years I was in the ministry. God's revealing this, but I decide, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to put this into practice. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, the kingdom is in me. I can release that. Just like you said, go, come. So I went and I preached. I was preaching this little small place. There was probably 50 people there that night. And at the end of the service, listen, I had never prayed for anybody in my life. Never dared to. I didn't think I was qualified. And I prayed. I was preaching it by that point, but never prayed for me. And that night, I said, I want to pray for the sick tonight. And I was pretty bold about it. It was going to be my first time. And I said, if you're sick, come up here, and we're going to pray for you and believe God for healing. And I think there were five people that came to the front. And this is my first time. 
these five people. I came down to the front when I was so excited. And I came to this first lady, my first ever. I came to this lady and I said, yes, ma'am. I said, what is it you need? She lifted her chin and she had a growth about the size of a golf ball on the outside of her neck. She said, I want God to heal this and take it away. And I remember my first thought was, God, this is my first one. Couldn't it have been something like a headache or a toe ache or something, God? At least it could have been a growth on the inside where I could just say, now go visit the doctor and tell us, come back later. But it's on the outside. Listen to this. As soon as that thought came to me, thoughts of fear, I I felt to do this. I stepped back. The old Rick Shelton. The old Rick Shelton stepped back. I said, Holy Ghost, step forward. It's like I almost envisioned this. I'm stepping back. The old Rick. Holy Ghost, step forward. Jesus, step forward. And I did that, and I reached out my hand, and all I just said was, I said, Be healed. I command this growth to go in Jesus' name. As soon as I did that, I quickly moved on. You know, I didn't want to stay and see what happened. You know, I just, I quickly moved on. I went to the next person. When I got to the second person, this is man, and I started to pray for him. And as, when I started to pray for him, I heard this woman, first woman start screaming. Ah! I thought, oh, God, I've killed my first one. <laughs> and I said, I went back to the woman, and I looked at her. I said, yeah, what? What's the problem? She lifted her neck, and the growth was completely gone. She says, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. She was screaming, crying. You know, it wrecked me. I'll tell you this, and it's kind of dangerous telling this, you know, people, because it's kind of out there, pretty out there, but it's all right. I'm leaving town tomorrow, so... never had anything like this happen before. First time I'd ever seen God use me to move in his power like that. And you know, just a couple months earlier, my wife had bought me a brand new watch for Christmas. And back in those, it was one of those LEDs. I don't know if they came the same time here as they did to America. You know, that we had these, they all said the new thing, these LED watches, big numbers, you know. So I was so excited. I had that thing on when I, listen, and I, when I laid hands on that woman, from the moment I re- laid hands on that woman and released the power of God, I didn't realize it until I got home later on, several hours later, I looked, and my watch stopped the minute I laid hands on that woman. Well, we got it started again, and I thought, wow, that was kind of crazy. And after that, I couldn't wear that watch anymore. Every time I would lay hands on people, as soon as I would start releasing what's in me, somehow my watch would get caught in the way. And I say that's pretty out there, but the reason I tell you that is to show you. So many times we look at the power, the move of God, the glory, the anointing of the Holy Spirit as this ethereal cloud, like it's something mystical that you you can't really get a hold of. I want to tell you something. and the anointing of the Holy Spirit moving through you is very tangible. It's very real. It's as real as electricity, yet more powerful. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.